0: Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan and help support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to the 41st episode of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional land, gathering place, and traveling route of the Cree, Anishinabe, Blackfoot, Métis, Dene, Nakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I alternate between using she, her, and they, them pronouns. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. In this episode, I interviewed novelist Steve Gans. I'm going to break this podcast up into four parts, novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting. representing a different aspect of my professional life. I'll give you updates on what I'm working on, let you know about any new works you can see, and keep you in the know about when I do free book giveaways on Amazon. Let's get started. First up, novels. Red 72 Revelation is done. The manuscript is formatted and I'm working with my cover design artist now. Just like I always do when I finish a manuscript, I was tempted to send it into a publishing house. But after reading the terms, I remembered why I self-publish. It's just as much work to promote yourself when you're published with a publishing house as it is when you're self-published. And yes, sometimes you get an advance, but unless you sell more than the advance was worth, you'll never see any more royalties. Unless you're already well-known, it's going to be difficult to get your book out to people. It's a momentum-building thing. You have to build inertia. That's true no matter whether you're at a publishing house or publishing on your own. That's not to say I'll never publish with a traditional publisher, but for right now, sticking with self-publishing still feels right for me. Now for my interview with novelist, Steve Gans. Hi, Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself, where you're from, and what you do.
1: Ah, hi, Sarah, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, My name is Steve Gans. I'm originally from Illinois, but I now live in Florida because I got old and retired, and that's the law. Um, I am a writer. I just published my first novel on Halloween of last year and uh, published a second one a couple months ago, and I'm working on the third.
0: Tell us about your books.
1: Uh, my books are uh, suspense thrillers. Um, the first two books are connected. Um, they're called, The first one is called Israfel Rising. The second one is called Israfel Fallen. And they deal with a serial killer who is recreating murders from Edgar Allan Poe stories uh, in a Chicago suburb and the team of cops who are tasked with figuring out why he's doing this and stopping him.
0: Israfel, that's kind of a unique name. Is there a meaning to that?
1: Uh, yes, Israfel is actually the name of an angel. Um, he's mentioned in the Quran, not the Bible. Edgar Allan Poe wrote a poem about the angel, Israfel. The killer sees himself uh, as Israfel in the sense that he sees himself as better than everyone else, he a higher being than just common, ordinary people. And Israfel is the angel who sounds the trumpet that signals the end of the world. And the serial killer is very much about dictating who lives and who dies. So he sees himself in that way. And that's why the title of the book
0: pretty deep. How did you come up with your inspiration? Like, obviously you drew from Edgar Allan Poe, but. Uh,
1: Yeah, I've always loved reading and writing. Um, And Poe was the first serious writer I ever read. Uh, When I was a little kid back in the Jurassic period, you didn't have goosebumps and things like that. If you were a little kid and you were into spooky things, you learned how to read Bram Stoker and Mary Shelley and uh, Edgar Allan Poe. And my parents had a book of Poe short stories, and I got into it and absolutely loved them. I still think his stories are the blueprints for short stories. And uh, so I've always been a fan of Poe. Um, I've worked for, I'm in my 28th year of working in corrections. The actual inspiration for this story came from a story I heard when I started working in prisons way back in the 90s. Try to make a long story short. It was a minimum security prison prison. And there was an, actually an inmate who was escaping on a regular basis and no one knew it until he got caught. What he would do is he would wait until count was over. He would sneak out of the prison. Being minimum security, it wasn't difficult. He would go down to a local bar and hang out and talk to people and they'd buy him drinks. And then he would you know, get a good buzz on, sneak back into the prison before uh, the next count was going to take place. And he would do this like every week. And uh, he got caught because... An off-duty officer walked into the bar and saw him there and called the police and said to the bartender, how long has he been here? He's like, oh, he's here every week. That planted the idea in my head that, well, you know, Al Capone killed many people, but he ended up going to prison for tax evasion. What if there was a really bad person like a, a Hannibal Lecter level serial killer who just through chance got caught up on some petty little fraud case or something like that and went to a place like this? and could come and go whenever he wanted to, what would happen then? And that seed of that idea kind of germinated in my head over the years. And when I retired and finally decided if I could fulfill my lifelong ambition to write novels, I decided to go with that story. And that's where all this came from.
0: That is fascinating. I bet you have all kinds of stories from working in corrections.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's an interesting field. Um, no one ever says when they're a kid, I want to work in a prison when I grow up. Uh, it's just something that happens. But, yeah, you see, like, like cops, you see the worst in humanity more often than you see the best in humanity. You learn a lot about yourself and other people and human nature. And there's endless stories in that. Uh, most of them are a little blood curling. Some of them are funny. Some of them are both. One of the things I tried to capture in the novels was... Uh, what I call cop humor. People who work in healthcare, people who work in mortuary science, people who work in law enforcement, and people in the military have fairly dark senses of humor. It's, it helps you get through. It helps you deal with the horror that you see every day. We could sit around, uh, my coworkers and I, in the prisons and, and tell jokes that we would never tell on the streets because ordinary people would find them appalling and think we were horrible people but they were just our way of dealing with it It, it's better than bursting into tears or running around screaming and my dad was a cop so I kind of had that even as a kid a little bit and I tried to work very hard to give that to the cops in my story so there's a lot of humor in my books but it's most of it fairly dark and very vulgar so they're definitely adults only books
0: I think you find that with a lot of people who have been through trauma of any kind is that they develop sort of a twisted sense of humor as a coping mechanism.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't remember who said it, but someone said we laugh because we cannot cry. Yeah. It it gets us through. Thank God for humor.
0: Definitely. So what is next on your, on your agenda? What are you working on now?
1: I'm working on my third novel. Uh, My main character in my novels is a, Uh, sarcastic kind of snarky female detective who is constantly spouting one liners and dirty jokes, but she's got the best mind for figuring out this stuff of any of the cops. I'm working on her next adventure. It's called the eight legs of the devil. And it's about a, a homeless girl who breaks into the house of a rich doctor because she wants to steal some money and jewelry and get the cash she needs to, get on a bus and get out of town and start her life somewhere else. And she never comes out. And her best friend, who's another homeless teen, goes to the cops. In this case, my cop tells her story and says, help me find my friend. And it leads to an investigation into this rich old family that's covered with respect and influence and actually has lots of dark and ugly and nasty secrets. So that's what I'm working on now.
0: Awesome. That sounds fascinating. So you mentioned (laughs) You mentioned that you you worked in in Illinois. Um, How does that sort of kind of play into the settings of your books? Does it at all? Because I know where I've lived does really heavily feature in what I write.
1: Yeah, I was born and raised uh, just outside of Chicago, Uh, a town, oddly enough, with two prisons in it. Um, Little did I know then it was just job training, living there. And I lived there until I was 51 in Illinois. So uh, when it came time to set these, this story in a certain location, I thought, well, this is what I know. This is my backyard. So I created a fictional suburb and set the story there. But it has everything to do with it. I've been in Florida for three years. I imagine someday I'll be ready to write about Florida. But for now, it's, it's very much a Chicago story. And I'm going to keep it there for a while because I think I'm going to stick with my main character for a while. She's a firecracker and I'm awfully fond of her. So she's got more stories in her, I think.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Florida, definitely. Like there's, there's that joke that just Google Florida man and your birthday Uh, and you'll find your headline for what you are.
1: (laughs) It's absolutely crazy. After I'd only been here a couple of months, just the first thing that comes to mind when talking about Florida, I went to an auction and uh, there were a couple of hundred people there, huge auction. And I noticed a woman about my age, middle-aged woman, black lady, walking around, looking at stuff, and she was wearing a baseball hat with a Confederate flag on it. And I thought, well, there's a level of disconnect I haven't seen in a while. And the, odd, the second thing that occurred to me was that everyone else around her didn't notice it at all. It was completely normal. If anything, they were looking at me going, why is that man staring at that woman? He must be weird. So, yeah, it's it's a different world down here. Like I say, maybe someday I'll be ready to write about it, but I'm still trying to adapt. I'm a stranger in a strange land.
0: Oh, absolutely. So I lived in in Jacksonville, Florida from 2001 to 2006. And, yeah, I remember the first thing I noticed when I moved there was, like, there are Confederate flags everywhere. What yes. is going on in this place?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's different. It's very, very different. It's not even necessarily a southern vibe here because you don't get the same vibe in other southern states. It's its its own little planet here, just planet Florida. So, yeah, lots of stories here, I'm sure. I'll just have to find them.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I lived in, in Tennessee from 2006 to 2008. and Yeah, it's... Tennessee's the South, but Florida is Florida.
1: <laughs> exactly, yeah. And you've got a lot of transplanted Yankees here, too, and they they make things interesting. Uh, I, ha- I, I will say, though, in all the states I've been in, and I haven't been in them all, but I've been in lots of them, Florida has, without question, the largest number of absolutely horrible drivers that I've ever seen anywhere. And I've driven in downtown Chicago traffic at rush hour. It's, it's unreal. They should just come and, and just... Take all the licenses away and start again.
0: You know. I don't know. Have you driven in Utah? No. Utah,
1: not been Utah is yet.
0: so bad. So I, bad.
1: I've <laughs> heard that from more than one person. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't
0: know. I don't know what it is about Utah, but they are so bad.
1: <laughs> wow. Don't know. Maybe it's all the salt. Who knows?
0: I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the smog layer between the mountains that gets trapped, affects the oxygen in our brains. Who knows?
1: (laughs) That could be. I'm wondering if Florida is the result of long-term collective heat stroke. Could be. We have two seasons here, hot and hotter.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, So maybe that's it. I don't know.
0: Yeah. In Jacksonville, there'd be like two days a year that would get below freezing.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's it's hysterical to me because I'm used to walking around in you know shorts and a t-shirt in Chicago weather, and you know it gets below seventy here, and the locals are bundled up like Inuit hunters, oh out yeah, looking for seals. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's absolutely hysterical. You can definitely tell who the locals are.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was in Chicago a couple of years ago with my best friend who is from Jacksonville, and it was. August and she wanted to put a jacket on like
1: oh yeah how
0: are you cold
1: (laughs) exactly well it is windy but you know yeah there wasn't enough humidity for her you should have just like (laughs) taken her to a steam bath and let her sit there because Florida is basically a steam bath with bugs that's what it is
0: (laughs) I love her though she's great (laughs) wears a hoodie all year round
1: Oh yeah. There's lots of great people down here. It's never a dull moment, but uh, plenty of strangeness too. It's never, never not interesting.
0: Plenty of inspiration for your, for your writing.
1: Oh yeah. I'll, I'll never live long enough to tell all the stories I
0: could tell down here. Oh, for sure. Uh, what's the best advice that you've ever gotten about writing?
1: I got it over and over again during the years, but I didn't listen. And and I've always, like I said, I fell in love with words when I was three or four. I mean, Sesame Street was a new thing when I was uh, that age. And Mr. Rogers and Electric Company. I always tell people Morgan Freeman taught me how to read because it's used there. So I fell in love with words and telling stories. And I've always kind of written short stuff. I tried writing poems, which thankfully don't exist anymore. No one has to suffer through reading those. And I did some articles and some essays. I published and edited my own magazine for a little while. But I never had the courage to tackle a novel, because a novel is a commitment. That is, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You've really got to love that story and those characters to devote that much time to putting it all out there. And I wrote my first novel at 54 because I spent 40 years of my life crippled by self-doubt. Not only not thinking that I had the ability to do it, but thinking, you know, well, what there's so many stories that have already been told. Well, how, how can I tell something that's new? You always think your first book has to be new and different and genre-breaking. And, oh, my God, no one's ever heard this story before. It, and it has to be original. And I realized when I decided I'm going to write this book, it might be the worst book ever written, but I'm going to find out whether or not I can write a book before I die. It's a bucket list thing. I thought I'm retired, and now the time to do it. And the more I wrote, the more I realized it's just committing to doing it. It's ignoring the writer's block, which everybody gets. and you just ignore that. You just skip over it and move on to the next part, and you fill it in later. You know, it's not it's not baking a cake. You can add the ingredients in after you're done if if it needs more. And you just plow through and you do it. And the original thing about your book is your voice. I mean, these, you know, these are crime novels. There's only so many serial killers that's been done to death, pun intended. Only so many cops. There's only so many ways you can kill someone and try to get away with it, hide the evidence, and, all this. and it's all been done. My God, Agatha Christie and you know so many people. You're like, what can I do that will you know make a difference? There's all these other people who've already told this story and told it better. What am I doing, wasting everyone's time writing? You know, it, all those things run through your head and paralyze you. I realized that the original thing about my books is my voice. The story may not be original, the characters may not be original, but the way I tell the story, the words I use and the words I don't use, and the choices I make are what's original and what readers will do. Readers follow writers. They don't follow stories. People run out and say, I'm going to buy the new Stephen King book. They don't go, I'm going to go buy a suspense thriller that they follow the writers that they like. And once I realized that and that it didn't have to be the great American novel. It just had to be a good story that people might like told the best way I could tell it. Uh, it freed me and I could just do it. And I said, you know what? It's if I put it out there and it's the worst book in the world, you know, the world won't end. People won't, you know, throw rocks and clubs at me in the streets. It, it'll be fine. It's just a book. And, uh, I say it was liberating. So my, the best advice I got, and I finally listened to it. And the best advice I could give anybody is just do it, write your book or your song or whatever you're wanting to do. Tell your story, do the best you can on it, work hard, do it and put it out there. You know, your second one will be better. Your third one will hopefully be better than that. Just keep going. You're, you're creating something. And and the worst artist in the world is still doing a great service, so that's that's the best advice I got and figured out finally because I'm slow, uh, but better late than never. And I would encourage anybody who wants to create anything of any kind, just do it. Ignore the doubt, ignore the worry, ignore the fear. Just do it, because you'll you'll reap enormous rewards.
0: One hundred percent. And I, I've done a few um, self-publishing 101 classes at, at conventions back before, you know, lovely COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the biggest thing everybody would always ask me is, how do you get over that fear that your first draft is going to suck? Do you have any advice about that? Oh, your first draft has to suck.
1: It really does. You know what your first draft is? It's It's when you buy a puzzle and you open the box and you dump all the pieces on the table. You have to sort them out. You have to turn them all over and find the borders and look at them. And so, or, or, you know, cleaning your kitchen, you take out your junk drawer and dump it on the table and sort out, okay, I keep this, don't need this, don't know what this is, get rid of this. Your first draft is you telling yourself the story. Just pour everything you can think of into it. Don't worry about the spelling or the grammar or if it makes sense or anything else. Just get it out, get it all out there, and then sit down. And your second draft is you sorting out the pieces. Okay, keep this, don't keep that, change this, make this bigger, make this smaller, whatever it is, and put it together until you've got the best story that you can come up with. And that's when you show it to your alpha readers and your beta readers and say, hey, look, guys, look at this and and tell me what's wrong with it. Tell me what I'm not seeing because I'm too close to it. That's terribly important. The the negative, what some people consider negative, negative. Criticism is really constructive. You need to hear what those people who give you a one-star review say because you want to make sure you're not missing anything. That's crucial. Yeah, your first I think it was Hemingway that said your first draft of anything is BS. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be good. That's why it's called the first draft and not the final draft. So don't worry about the quality. Just everything you can think of, dump it in there. You're going to edit it later or someone else is. Just get it done. First drafts are nothing to fear. That's the easiest thing to do is the first draft. It's the, the editing and stuff, is it, that's the hard part. And then the marketing. Self-publishing is tough. You know, I My original plan when I thought about doing this, I thought, okay, whatever I do, this was my mindset, I'm not going to self-publish. Because anybody can self-publish, that's no guarantee of quality. This is a popular genre. People love crime stories and serial killer things. So I'll, I'll send it, I'll get an agent, and I'll, they'll get it to a publisher. And if no publisher takes it, because there's definitely a market for it, if no one takes it, that means it's not good enough to compete in the marketplace. And that'll be my litmus test of whether or not I've written a good book. That's where my head was at the time. And then I started doing some research into agents and query letters and publishers. And I said, okay, so let me get this straight. There's bunches of agents on YouTube, and bless them for being helpful. But they're basically telling me that if there's anything in my book they don't personally like, they're probably not going to agent for it, which is fine. It's their career. It's their name that they're putting out there. If they don't want to be associated with a particular book, that's fine. But I thought, you know, if I was a grocer and I was allergic to seafood, I wouldn't not put seafood in my store because my customers want seafood if it sells I'm putting it out there. And if I'm an agent and this is about business and not my personal library, anything I think that has a market that's good enough that will sell, I should be agenting to put it out there because it's about business. It's not about me. So I had that particular issue. And there's lots of agents out there who are that way. And then if you do get an agent, if you write the query letter properly and send the synopsis of the chapters in and they like you and they take you on and and you're lucky enough to get an agent and then your agent is lucky enough to get you a publisher in, say, six months, if you're lucky. Um, then in 18 to 24 months after that, you're going to see your book in print. And I thought, you know, I'm 54. I don't want them to put the first edition of my first book on my casket at the funeral. You know, I want this out there. I don't, I, I'm running out, you know, I'm not a spring chicken here. So I thought, okay, self And And if you're not a name or an established writer, or celebrity of some kind. You're not going to get a big advance. You're not going to get a 10-city book tour on the publishing house. You're not going to get marketing people just falling all over themselves, pushing your book in every store in the country. You're going to have to do a lot of your own marketing on social media and in person and all that other stuff anyway. So if I'm doing all that anyway, why not self-publish so that I can determine Exactly what goes into my book. They're not going to cut a character or a line or a story because it's controversial or heaven forbid might offend someone. My book will be my book the way I want it to be, Good, bad, Indifferent, It's mine. I'll have the rights to it. I'll decide where it goes and who gets it, and I'll have a higher percentage of royalties for it. So the more I thought about it, I'll have control over the cover. You know, publishers determine they hire an in-house artist to do your cover. And I have a friend who's an internationally shown and awarded artist and a wonderful person. And when I wrote the book, I thought, that's who I want to do my covers. Nobody else. So right or wrong, they're my books. I want my cover. So the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I'm old and impatient and kind of have an outsider mentality anyway. And Poe self-published his first book and didn't make any money doing it. So I'm in good company. So I was wrong. I'm going to self-publish. My way of thinking now is that if you're published traditionally, kudos, you jump through a lot of hoops to get there. Uh, but essentially, you had two people, an agent and someone at a publishing house, decide that they liked your book. If I put my book on Amazon and two people who read books buy it and read it and give me five-star reviews, I've achieved the same thing. Two people who read a lot liked my book. It's no better or worse or more validating or not. Sure, my book is not in Walmart. Sure, I didn't get a check in the mail as an advance. But so what? I didn't write this for the money. I like self-publishing. I have nothing against traditional publishing. But for me, self-publishing is the way to go. Control your work and control your own product. And the marketing aspect is a lot of work. But, hey, you're getting to talk to people. You're getting out there and you're making great friends. I've met so many other great writers and content creators that I never would have discovered otherwise. So I'm a strong advocate for self-publishing, definitely.
0: I think it's really important that you pointed out that you keep all the rights and you you retain all of that with self-publishing. I was offered a book deal from a publishing house for the book that I have in editing right now. Like it's in final rounds of editing and they wanted to retain the movie rights. So I turned them down. Like, no, <laughs> that's yeah, not, that's, no.
1: <laughs> that's where the money is.
0: <laughs> like if, if they want to make it into a movie and make millions of dollars, I'll, I want those millions of dollars. <laughs>
1: yeah, you should get a cut. Definitely. Yeah, that's huge. That's where the big money is now is books being turned into films and Netflix series and whatnot. So yeah, I think you did the right thing. I mean, there, there are some traditional publishers... Like Hard Case Crime is a great publishing house. They're small, but they put out consistently great stuff. And my books would be perfect for them, I think. So if I were going to go traditional, I'd go with them. But yeah, I I agree with you. It's nice to control what's happening with your book. No one's going to take it and turn it into a shapeshifter musical on Disney Channel. No, you don't want that. You know?
0: If you're into that, go for hey, it.
1: But nothing Nothing <laughs> wrong with that at all. <laughs> Not, not my genre.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's my books would not work well as shapeshifter musicals.
1: <laughs> Mine either. Um, yeah. Not good at all, but you know, uh, to each his own. There's, uh, we need everything. We need the more stories we have out there, the better, you know?
0: Definitely. And I think that's, that's like the tagline of, of NaNoWriMo. The world needs your story.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, and I thought about doing that, but I work full-time, and I maintain the households. My wife's a nurse, so she works like 60, 70-hour weeks, especially in the last year or so, because despite what some of my neighbors think around here, there is a pandemic going on, and COVID's real. Uh, I wish they'd tell our governor. So uh, I try to keep the house and take care of things. So I, I just I looked at it, and I thought, there's no way I can do that. I just can't crank out a novel in a month. I, I need more time, and I write short books. I don't I don't write long I envy people who can write a Stephen King or George Martin sized table that you can seat several small a book. You can seat several small children on, but uh, I can't read books that big. I've tried and I definitely can't write them. So I write quick little thrillers and, and that's the way it goes, but no, I, I couldn't do it, but I, I applaud anybody who did. I have a friend who's put on uh, social media the other day. Yep. Yeah, finished my second novel this year, working on a third. I'm like, Wow. Okay. If I didn't work, uh, maybe, but that's not me. One or two a year, and and that's going to be lucky for me.
0: Yeah, that having to work full-time definitely does uh, cut into the creation time.
1: Yeah, plus I'm old. You know, when the sun's down, I'm in bed. You know, I'm decrepit. So, very, very
0: old.
1: (laughs) My uh, high school diploma was made with a chisel. <laughs> uh, yeah, we it, it, it actually didn't have history class, it was called Current Events. <laughs> yeah, my, my sister charged the light brigade. I'm very, very old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh. Well, it's been great talking to you and getting to know a bit more about your books and your writing. Can you please tell the listeners where they can find your books?
1: Yes, uh, they're on Amazon. Uh, You can find me at steveargans.com. That's uh, S-T-E-V-E-R-G-A-N-S dot com. Uh, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, the books, if you search the word Israfel on Amazon, you'll find them. Uh, The first book is on Kindle Unlimited, so you can read it for free if you're part of that. If you're not... You can still click on the cover and read the first three chapters for free. See if it's your kind of thing. And that's uh, that's where I'm at. And like I say, Eight Legs of the Devil will be coming sometime this year.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining me. Take care.
1: Uh, thank you. You too, Sierra.
0: I'm part of the way through Steve's novel, Israfel Rising, and I'm loving it. I highly recommend these books. And now for comics. This week's comic is a parody of those old school Game Boy Pokemon games. A wild them appeared. Because trans rights, that's why. Listen up, everybody, because you are not going to want to miss this. Neveo Photo Journals has an exclusive offer for my listeners. With back to school, COVID still going on, and all the regular everyday craziness in the world, Neveo has come up with the perfect solution for sharing photos with faraway family members. Just download their app, add your photos, and tell them where to send it. At the end of the month, Neveo prints and ships your photo book to whoever you ask them to. Your parents in another country, or your brother off at university, or your grandparents you haven't seen before the pandemic. It's up to you. And with this exclusive offer, you can get your first two months absolutely free. Just use discount code barefoot. That's B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T, all capital letters, in the Neveo app. My grandparents love their Naveo photo books, and your relatives will too. All right. Next up is journalism. I dedicate a lot of this week to resting. Sometimes your body needs that. I think it's important to be authentic about that rather than pushing a fake perfect image. So here's to resting when we need to. The journalistic scoops will get picked up by someone else and there will be more scoops for you to pick up when you're rested. Last but not least, let's talk about barefooting. Because I've been in resting mode this week, I was, of course, barefoot all week. Some of my more exciting barefoot adventures involved going to a spray park in Spruce Grove and roasting marshmallows in my backyard. And, of course, I had a barefoot birthday. I'm 31 now. Thank you to everyone who wished me a happy birthday. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back next week with an interview with podcast coach Doug Sandler. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to sierrathebarefootgirl at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot, on Facebook as Sierra, the Barefoot girl on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, and on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot. You can follow the podcast itself on Instagram at barefooting with Sierra. All of my books are available on Amazon. My comics are available on Instagram at world of possums on Facebook, possum Pete comics and at patreon.com slash possum Pete. Thank you to Legion X for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening, and please share it with a friend if you've enjoyed it. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.